Today we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount and we start in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And here we have Jesus talking about judging. And this is probably today one of the most popular and quoted verses of Scripture. There was a time a while back, whatever, it was John 3.16. You'd see it every ball game. Somebody be holding up. John 3.16. But now then, this is the one that you hear more than any other. Do, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Or to uh, just make it a little bit clearer, don't judge so that God won't judge you. Don't judge others. So God won't judge you. Then he goes on and he says, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, this passage has been taken out of context to mean something that it was never that Jesus didn't mean it to say, uh, because nowadays the way, the way it's used, it's used like who are you to judge me? Basically saying, who are you telling me how I ought to be living my life? And that's the way that we use it. And basically, it's a backhanded way of saying, I can do anything I want to, and you can't say anything about it. A while back on one of the talk shows, they had a woman on there who was living in sin, and she was kicked out of her church. And it was... One of these tawdry shows where they were just all just, oh, it's so horrible. You know, Christians aren't supposed to judge. What are they doing? Throwing her out of the church for living in sin. Uh, you know, it's, it sounds incongruous, really. And yet that's what we're doing a lot today in churches. We're, con- we're condoning sin. Instead of doing what we're told to in Scripture, which where it tells us many times, if you see someone straying, Paul says this over and over again, if you see someone going the wrong way, lovingly confront them and try to bring them back into the right way. That's in Scripture. It's not that we're just given carte blanche to do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's not what this passage means at all. Now, I want to get into that in a little bit more detail, but let's face it. You you make decisions based on judgments of other people every day. And I think it's amazing that this particular sermon falls at a time in uh, the electoral process where the where politics is getting fast and furious and accusations are being thrown right and left and uh you're starting to wonder who's telling the truth and who's not who's just blowing smoke and who's sincere uh you hear all these things and yet you've been burned in the past where you put your hope in someone and they totally disappointed you and uh so you're in a spot today where you should be discerning. And there's a kind of judging that is called discerning. And Jesus talks about that on down in the, uh, in the same chapter where he says uh, in the 15th verse of the 7th chapter of Matthew, it says, 
Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's almost like some of the politicians that we're seeing today, isn't it? They're looking so nice and they say such good things. But how do we know? How can we tell if they're wolves in sheep's clothing or if they're really, really sheep? So uh, it says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And so as you're measuring your candidates for the primaries or whatever, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit that is that that they've left behind in the past. Consider that. Jesus is saying, beware and be aware of what's going on. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you shall know them by their fruits. So in context, we have Jesus saying, Judge not lest ye be not judged, or um, don't judge so that you won't be judged. You hear him saying that, and then you say you're hearing him say, use discernment with people. Be clear as to what they're saying and what they're doing, and do their actions line up with their words. And so you see, judging is in different layers and different things. It means different things. And Jesus is talking about a particular type of judging whenever he begins this passage. It's judging that is condemning, negative, unmerciful, uh, uh, and uh, hurtful, I guess you could say. But I I think the main word is unmerciful. I think that's one of the things... Harsh, negative criticism uh, from a self-righteous heart is kind of what he's talking about. I'll give you a couple of examples. In Luke, the seventh chapter, the 36th verse through the 50th verses, we read a story. And uh, you see that Jesus is uh, there. He is uh, in the house of a Pharisee named Simon. Luke, the seventh chapter, beginning with the 36th verse. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she's a sinner. Okay, now then. This guy has made a judgment. Now, I want you to see what happens next. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. 
A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. There's that word judge. You've judged rightly. Okay, so you've got judgment there. So then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, Simon was able to make a right judgment in saying, The one who was forgiven the most would love the most. But he wasn't able to make a right judgment when it came to the lady's or the woman's tears. Those were tears of repentance. She was truly repentant, and Simon paid no attention to her repentance. He paid no attention to her heart. Yeah, he knew her reputation. He knew how she dressed. He knew how she looked. He knew what she had been. But here at this moment, a change was occurring. And he cared nothing about that. Do you see the unmercifulness in it? He didn't care about what was going on at the moment. What he cared about was, here's a woman with a bad reputation that's coming to my house. And she's messing with my guest. But he wasn't, she wasn't, he wasn't paying any attention to what was really going on. And there are a lot of times whenever we make our snap, ugly judgments about people without trying to understand what's really going on, and without caring what is really going on. Harsh and unmerciful. Now remember, Jesus said that by the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. Who would you rather be on judgment day, standing before the Lord, that woman who is shedding tears at his feet, or Simon? The self-righteous, look-down-your-nose guy who was sitting there condemning her as Jesus was making her whole. What sort of mercy do you think he will be shown if he's going to be measured with the same sort of measure that he was dishing out that day? Do you see? Let me take you to another story. We looked uh, on Ash Wednesday is that the story of the prodigal son. And we left off at the end where the prodigal son had come home. He was repentant. He'd come to himself. He'd come back home. He and his father had been reconciled. And there was joy in the family. Except the older brother comes and he is angry. 
he stands outside and he tells his father who has to go outside and try to beg for him to come in. He tells him, your son did all of this and you didn't do and, and, and you're not paying attention to that. And you hadn't even given me a skinny little goat to celebrate with with my friends. And he is so upset and he is judging his brother whom the father has forgiven. Now then, remember, by the same measure that you judge, you're going to be judged by God, is what Jesus said. Now think about this. Think about this. If the father in this story represents God, who would you rather be on judgment day? The prodigal son that's come home and repented or the one who is hanging outside? Now, they're key. we don't know what scenario is going to take place from this point on. But you see, at this point, one son has been brought back into the family. The other son has now stepped away from the family. And the father is still the head of the family. And he is embarrassing the father. He's making a scene. He's not honoring his father's wishes. He's not honoring his father's desires. He's paying no attention to his father's heart. And he cares nothing about his little brother at this point. All he cares about is what is important to him. Unmerciful, harsh, condemning. Now, at this point in time, his father has a decision to make. His father could and had the power at that point to kick the older brother out of the household. You ever thought about that? Because he's being contentious with his father. He's not being a good son at all. And it could, this scene could play out where the older son winds up being disowned, disinherited, and then guess who gets the stuff? You ever thought about that? The stuff that the older brother was upset because his stuff was being spent on the uh, younger brother, he could wind up with nothing and the younger brother wind up with his. And you know, there are other parables that are played out to completion, and that is exactly the way that they play out. Here's a place in scripture where Jesus says, if you find, if you save your life, you'll lose it. <coughs> if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Well, this older brother is at the place where he's about to lose the very thing that he was wanting to hang on to. In our judgment, we wind up in a spot where we have a father, heavenly father, many times that's saying, show some mercy, show some grace, take time to understand what's really going on. And then he goes on, Jesus does in this passage, and he, he gives a uh, uh, an example. And this would have been considered almost like a three stooges scenario uh, I don't know how many of y'all remember the Three Stooges. Do you remember them, how they're always knocking each other around and stuff like that? Well, just listen to what Jesus says and try to picture this. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye and behold, you have a log in your own eye. Now just picture this. You've got a guy with a two by four sticking out of his eye and he's turning around. Let me get this out. Hitting the guy in the head that he's trying to get the piece of sawdust out of his eye. And I'm sure that the people there were laughing as Jesus said this because it is a ludicrous thing to consider. And yet, uh, somebody has said this would be what you would call the epitome of hyperbole. (laughs) The epitome of hyperbole is the way it should be pronounced, you know. The epitome of hyperbole. Because this is a big exaggeration. It's a big exaggeration, but it makes a real truth, does it not? Because he's saying, but he doesn't say, so don't ever mess with the speck in your brother's eye, does he? That's not what he says. He says, instead, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's not that you don't pay any attention to what the other person's doing, but you make sure that first of all, you paid attention to what you're doing. You make sure that you're not casting stones at others that should be cast at you. By the same measure that you measure, it's going to be measured to you. And so he's saying, before you go around trying to help other people, make sure you have been helped. And after you have been helped, then you'll be able to help others. I'm going to close with a story I heard a long, long time ago. A guy named Mike Warnke was at one point in his life a Satanist high priest. And he wound up being uh, in the army or in the, in, the, in the armed forces. And he had two roommates in boot camp that were tremendous born-again Christians. And they knew where Mike Warnke was coming from. And he told them over and over again, don't talk to me about this Jesus stuff. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And he said that they were just, he said they were just, they just oozed Jesus and he couldn't stand it. I mean, they'd sit down to eat and uh, they'd be having this horrible food in front of them. And they'd say, oh, Lord, we thank you for this food. Bless it. Please do something with it, you know. Uh, but uh, they were, they were, uh, they were always, they're always God's people. <coughs> and they kept trying to share the gospel with him. And it just irritated him. It made him, it angered him. And so much so that as they were right toward the end of boot camp, one of them came up and said, Mike, I've got to talk to you about Jesus. And he grabbed him by the, Sure. He said, no, you don't. And he threw him and he threw him so hard that he hit the sink, the lavatory in the room with his face, crunched his nose, just broke his nose. And the man turned around and he said, Mike, I've got to tell you about Jesus. And he said, you say Jesus to me one more time. And I'm going to slip in your room at night. And I'm going to cut you open like a Christmas turkey. And the guy said, Mike, I've got to tell you about Jesus. He said, why? He said, because I love you, Mike. 
And Michael Warnke said, you're sitting there in a pool of blood coming from your nose that I broke and you're saying that you love me? How can you love me? said, Mike, you always say that because you don't know what love is. And he said, okay, wise guy, what is love? He said that the guy took his hand, he wiped blood off his face, and he held it out. And he said, Mike, Jesus Christ loved you so much that he went to the cross and bled and died there for you. And if you're good enough for Jesus, Mike, you're good enough for me. Mike said that after that, there was nothing he could say, except that shortly after that, he knelt down in a mop closet at boot camp. He said, God, make them, make me like them. He said he didn't realize that he was saying, Lord, come into my heart. But when he said, make me like them, that was the beginning of his salvation. Judge not lest ye be not judged. For by the same measure that you judge, you're going to be judged. Get the moat out of your eye first. You see, this young man that witnessed to Mike Warnke, he had gotten the beam out of his eye. And so when he saw Mike, he didn't see a sinner that was damned and going to hell. Instead, he saw someone that was lost. He saw someone that Jesus loved and wanted to be in the fold with him. You see the difference? Do you see the difference? Whenever you look on others, one last thing that it says that Jesus said, he says, uh, let's see, where is it? Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample, trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I'm going to give you a slant on this that you'll be probably never heard before. So many people say, well, you see right there, there's proof that Jesus is saying that uh, you're supposed to judge because how can you say that someone's a dog or swine uh, if you're not judging? And so, and they'll take it and they'll say, there are those people that aren't going to be receptive to what you have to say. And so whenever you run across those people, don't waste your wisdom on swine and dogs. What he's really saying is make sure your heart is right before you even look on other people. And don't try to talk to them about Jesus if you're looking down at them spiritually. If you can't say, I've been where you are, you can't talk to them. If you don't realize that you're a sinner that has been saved by grace. And that's the only reason why you can stand and talk about the Lord. If you think that you can talk about him because you're such a good Bible scholar or something like that, or because you go to church, then you need to get the log out of your eye. Once you get the log out of your eye, you'll see people differently. You won't see swine. You won't see dogs. You won't see anyone that you can look down on. Instead, you'll see people that need the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow before you this morning, we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see other people clearly. 
Give us your eyes, O God. Whatever people come before us, Lord God, whatever people uh, come across our paths, forgive us if we've looked down on anyone from some sort of spiritual loftiness and understand that if they're still living in sin, it's because they don't know where they're going and they don't know that there's a way out. And then give us the courage, Lord, to speak to them in ways that will resonate with their heart. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.